Colossians 2.6. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. The sound is way better. Thank you so much for that. Father, we thank you for this time today to open your holy word. And Father, as we preach today about being rooted in Christ, I pray that you would challenge and help every student here to know you more and to be aware of anything that would pull them from a close relationship with you. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Around 2,000 years ago, a burdened pastor traveled nearly 1,000 miles in distance from Asia Minor all the way to the city of Rome. And he went to Rome with a concern that he had for a local church. Someday, if you are a pastor or serving in ministry, you'll understand what it means to have a burden for others. Such a burden that you would go to such great lengths as did a man by the name of Epaphras. Epaphras shared his concerns with the Apostle Paul. He shared his concern with respect to Greek Gnosticism that had begun to influence the churches of his area. And it seemed that the church, which had been rooted in the doctrines of Christ, was being shaken and that there were those that were attempting to uproot uh, the, the people from the very foundations of their faith. And many of us who have pastored, as I have now, for nearly four decades, we see the devil constantly trying to uproot people from where they once were very grounded. We see entire churches that are uprooted and churches that are often drifting from the doctrinal statement that they have on paper. Like the Colossian church, we must hear the warning the Apostle Paul wrote back and gave after hearing from Epaphras. And I want you to recognize that what we read in these verses is as valid, it is as needed, it is as relevant this morning as it was when it was written nearly 2,000 years ago. There's an author by the name of David Wells who wrote these words. Today, we are neither rooted nor do we have much of a sense of belonging. We are, in fact, the uprooted generation, the disconnected, the drifters, the alone. We are being blown around by the windstorms of modernity. Our roots in families, place, and work have all withered and been cut off. And many churches are like this. Most of you have been here in Lancaster long enough now that you have seen a tumbleweed or two. How many of you have seen at least one tumbleweed? I remember one time I was driving with Pastor Mike Norris, and we were driving down 40th Street, and there was a tumbleweed that came into the road so large that the car coming the other way, you could not see it because the tumbleweed was that large. Brother Norris had not been here many times, and he said, Brother Chapel, pull the car over. I've got to take a picture of that tumbleweed and show it to our church back in Tennessee. And we've got some big tumbleweeds here uh, in the high desert. But did you know that many Christians today and many young people are like a tumbleweed? A very large 
tumbleweed will have oftentimes a very small root structure. And that's why when the wind blows, uh, they're so easily uprooted. Well, Epaphras was burdened for the church at Colossae because they were very close to being blown away by the winds of false teaching of their day. You see, culture today is blowing against Christianity and blowing against the church. In fact, a few years ago in the, in the USA Today magazine, there was a, a new term that was coined, and it was called apathyism. And it reflected the apathy toward religion, toward religious systems, and toward even a belief in God. Apathyism is a term that rightly reflects the American culture today. It's sort of like, yeah, whatever you want to do, however you think, I'll do my thing, you do your thing. And oh, how we see today people changing and flip-flopping on their positions. One of the most famous flip-flops of recent years by a politician was made by Barack Obama, a man who, when he was first elected president, said very openly that he believed marriage was between a man and a woman. Because at that time, there was still a poll that was indicating about 61% of Americans felt that marriage was between man and a woman. But the second time he ran to become president, he said this, quote, I've just concluded that for me personally, it is important for me to go ahead and affirm that I think same-sex couples should be able to get married. You see, by this time, uh, the majority of Americans had switched to saying that they believed in same-sex marriage. And so as a good politician, he said, I just believe at this time it's important for me to affirm something different than what I affirmed four years ago. Ladies and gentlemen, students, I want you to remember this morning that God's word doesn't flip every four years. And that God has not called us to adapt to the winds of the culture and be blown around like a tumbling tumbleweed. He has called us to be rooted, to be grounded, to hold our position. And oh, we see preachers today that are here and there, and one day a Baptist, and one day not a Baptist, and one day a soul winner, and another day not believing in soul winning. And one day they don't believe uh, in a woman preacher, and the next day their, their wife is preaching. And I'm just simply saying to you, get a hold of your convictions and get rooted in your doctrine. And by the grace of God, stay true to the calling of God in your life. Epaphras had a pastor's heart for the church at Colossae. He went to the apostle Paul. He was so burdened about the church that was there. Oh, I say to you today, God wants you to take a stand on marriage and get rooted down in what that is all about. And God wants you to take a stand on his word. And God wants you to learn the distinctives of our faith and, 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 and let nothing lead you away from them. People are constantly in these evolving positions. I think of marriage. The word of God says, what God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. I think of a young man that came here and preached in this very college, a fiery young evangelist who was preaching around the country, well-known. Dr. Getch would know him. If I mention his name, some of you may know him. But somehow along the way, several years ago, he figured, you know, my secretary is a little friendlier to me than my wife is. And by the way, if you don't treat your wife right, she may not be as friendly as your secretary. 
Before you know it, he divorced his wife. Before you know it, he married the secretary. Now he's, now he's gone into all different kinds of doctrine. I'm telling you, when you start the slide of compromise on your convictions, there's no telling where you'll go. You need to decide what the Bible says about marriage. You need to decide what the Bible says about, uh, about baptism. You need to decide what the Bible says about the blood atonement. You need to decide and get your doctrine while you're here and get rooted in these doctrines of the Word of God culture is constantly trying to uproot, and Christianity today is often uh, following suit. One philosopher by the name of Elton Trueblood, he was a Quaker, he described society as a cut flower civilization. He said, the basic Christian truths have built it, but if we are disconnected from our roots, our ideals and ethics eventually will fade and die. If we successfully give Christ to the next generation, we must hand his teachings to them too. If you young ladies were to receive a bouquet of flowers from a young man in this college, first I would be shocked. <laughs> you would probably be shocked. And some of you young ladies, how many of you would rather have a heater than a bouquet of flowers right now? Let me see, all right? And uh, we're going to get some heaters, by the way, in some of those classrooms tonight. But if you were to receive a bouquet of flowers, they, they look beautiful for the first day or two. And then after a while, because they've been cut at the bottom, they begin to fade. You might even put some water in a vase, but a week or so later, they're going to begin to drop off the, the various different leaves and petals because there's no attachment to a root. And I've seen young people come to Bible college and they kind of learn how to look outwardly. They kind of learn a few phrases theologically. They learn enough to kind of pass the exam, but they never get really rooted in walking with Jesus. They never really learn how to pray. They never really believe that soul winning is a mandate from God. They never really believe that church is a holy place of worship. They never get, well, they never get rooted. And because of that, two or three or four years later, we begin to hear about the petals that are falling off. He did what? He switched to what? His marriage, what? He's not a Baptist? And sometimes as the president of the college, I've even thought, wow, what could I have done to help them learn? What could I have done to help them get rooted, to be more theologically grounded? But the fact of the matter is, we cannot force you to have convictions. You must choose to have the right convictions. Amen. We can teach you what the Bible says. But as we look this morning, I want you to notice three areas where you must choose to be rooted very quickly, notice, first of all, we must be rooted in his person. The Bible says in verse 7 that we are to be rooted and built up in him. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if any man be in Christ, we are to be rooted personally. Notice in verse 6, it says, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord. I like that term, received, and, 
and, and, and sometimes uh, I'll hear people in certain theological circles make fun of terminology like accepting Jesus Christ as our Savior, and, and uh, they, they bring out the fact that that term is not necessarily a biblical term, and I understand that we must be careful of, of some form of, uh, uh, of maybe just uh, uh, creating terminology that is not biblical, and, and yet here is a term that is biblical. It is the term received Jesus Christ as your Savior. It is a biblical thing to say, and the Bible says in John 1, 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. I had a family friend that was at my uncle's funeral the other day, and, and over the years, he delved into some different theological uh, circles, and, and uh, he uh, uh, uses some different terms in regards to salvation and is somewhat critical of, of people who believe that salvation is a simple faith decision. My uncle was very strong on the fact uh, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Uh, my uncle was very strong on the fact of John 1.12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. And he, like Curtis Hudson and others, they, they would get frustrated, my uncle did, when people made salvation such a hard thing from the standpoint of maybe the lordship salvation uh, type of philosophy. And, and so here was this man at my uncle's funeral, and, and, uh, and he's written some articles and so forth uh, uh, about how to be saved and, and uh, very complicated uh, uh, thesis and so forth. And so I went up to him, I put my arm around him, and I said, thanks for coming to the service today. I said, let me ask you a question. I said, um, do you believe that you and my uncle, and then I named this gentleman's favorite author, uh, who I won't name in chapel this morning. I said, do you believe that you and my uncle and this so-and-so author all got saved the same way? All got saved the same way? Now, here's a man who's written articles all about repentance and all about lordship and all about remorsefulness and all about this and that and just, just all these things. And, and, and what he's written is not, it's not necessarily wrong. It's just a, a, lot of, a lot of complication, I'll put it that way, in some sense of the word. I said, do you believe that you and this author and my uncle all got saved in the same way? And he got tears in his eyes. He went to Biola with my uncle, played sports. He got tears in his eyes. And he said, yes, we did. And he said, you know why? And he quoted this verse, John 1, 12. Because as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. How many of you are glad that you've received the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior? Uh, to be sure, when you receive Christ as Savior, you're doing so because you know you're a sinner and, and you're turning to Jesus because you, you, you know that only Jesus can atone for your sin. But I'm glad that God put salvation down at the bottom shelf so that even a third grade bus rider can get saved. They can be in Christ. And oh, what a blessing the Bible still says. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him come and take of the water of life freely. I'm so glad that salvation is a free gift for all who believe. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But we must be personally rooted in Christ. Students, make sure that you're saved. Oh, it's so important that you have been saved. Secondly, we must be rooted passionately. I want you to notice in verse 6 again a phrase that says, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, notice this little phrase here, so walk ye in him. Let's say that together. So walk ye in him. 
Here is a passionate walk. It is a, uh, it is a present meaning. It is a continuous relationship. Walk ye in him. Uh, Paul said that I may know him. God says, I want you to have not just that moment when you receive me, but I want you to keep walking with me. And this is so important. This is why we have chapel service. This is why we have dorm devotions. We want to walk with the Lord. George Mueller said, the primary business I must attend to every day is my fellowship with the Lord. The first concern is not how much I might serve the Lord, but how my inner man might be nourished. I may share the truth with the unconverted. I may try to encourage believers. I may relieve the distressed, or I may in other ways seek to behave as a child of God. Yet, not being happy in the Lord and not being nourished and strengthened in my inner man day by day may result in this work being done in a wrong spirit. And so we must have a passionate walk with the Lord. And then secondly, it must be a persistent walk. The Bible says something in verse 7. Notice again, rooted and built up in him. The word rooted means to render firm or to be established. God says, I want you to be firm. Now, men and ladies, listen. When you go to a doctrines class, pay attention. Whether it's the doctrine of God, whether it's the doctrine of the Word of God, whether it's doctrines concerning heaven or hell, Pay attention, get rooted, get grounded in the doctrine of the Word of God. Yes, we want you to learn how to run a bus route. Yes, we want you to learn how to serve the Lord's table. Yes, we want you to learn how to baptize. All these practical things are important, but nothing can replace getting grounded in the doctrine of the Word of God. We're to be rooted. Then notice, secondly, it says there, we're to be built up, to be built up. This is to build the superstructure. And that's what I said a moment ago, is that we must be building a strong foundation of doctrine so that we can build the superstructure. I believe it was Augustine who said, Lord, we are restless until we rest in thee. We are restless until we rest in thee. You must be rooted in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not enough to know the rules of West Coast Baptist College. It's not enough to follow the standards of the church where you serve. It must be first and foremost a relationship with Jesus Christ. And when that is there, everything else will come together. Notice, secondly, we are to be rooted not only in a person, we are rooted, secondly, in the precepts of God. In the precepts, notice in verse 7, rooted and built up, and notice this next phrase, and established in the faith. And established in the faith. Again, the word established means to confirm or to make sure. Romans 16, 25. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel. Vance Havner once said, uh, too many of us today are shaky about what we believe, but not shaken by what we believe. In other words, we need to be completely established in our faith. And, and, and to be established, we must follow certain principles. First, we must preach the faith. We need men, we need preachers like you and teachers like you ladies who will go out and who will teach the faith to the next generation, who will teach and preach line upon line the Word of God. Uh, I think of some of the goofy preaching today. I don't know why it is that modern-day preachers think they need to dumb everything down. Some of the sermon series that I see advertised, uh, I, these are literal sermon series 
of preachers who are preaching uh, messages today, several of them Baptist. Um, Life's short, have fun. Here's a series on a billboard in Texas. Work doesn't have to suck. Here's another one. The whoopee cushion of life. Here's another one. The purple people leader. It's as if to say, we know this book is boring and we know it's not really relevant, so we're gonna try to spruce it up with these creative things. Can I just give you a little bit of advice today? Preach the word. Never apologize for it. Open the Bible, read the text, explain the text, preach the word of God, and men and women will hear it and they will respond to the preaching of the word of God. Oh, we must have Bible preachers today. Oh, yes, 2 Timothy 4 says the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust they will heat unto themselves teachers having itching ears, and we're seeing that today. Yes, there are some who are turning away, but there are others. And I'm going to tell you, now listen very carefully to me. I'm going to tell you who doesn't want sound doctrine, and I'm going to tell you who doesn't want to have a holy, godly worship. I'll tell you who it is, carnal Christians. And if you're trying to build your church by attracting people from some woke Southern Baptist church or some dead community church or some Pentecostal church, if that's how you're trying to build your church, forget about it and get out soul winning because I'm going to tell you something, a lost person, uh, they just want to know, what does the Bible say? They don't want to hear about purple people eaters. They don't want to hear about how to have a fun this or that. They need to know what the Bible says. Most of the arguments that go on in religious circles are just preachers that are either trying to be cool or trying to shame someone else or trying to show how they're, they're so much better. It's all Christians trying to leverage to get other Christians into their church. We ought to have a, a, this idea that the world needs the gospel and we're going to get people saved and get them grounded in the word of God. 99% of the things American preachers discuss are completely irrelevant to the missionaries today. Brother Friedenstein's not down in, in uh, uh, El Salvador today thinking to himself, well, I, I wonder if I had to uh, preach with no socks today. Maybe I'll wear puka shells when I preach because that'll make me look really cool. That's not what missionaries think about. You know what missionaries think about? How can I get the gospel to these unregenerate people? Amen. By the way, America is a pagan land. Maybe we ought to start thinking that way. Yep. Titus 1.9, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught. Look at we're trying to teach you the faithful word. We're trying to help you learn what biblical preaching is, what biblical counseling is, what biblical music is. Listen, hold fast the word as you have been taught. And I think there's something to be said here about the traditions and the biblical values that you're receiving and, and you're not having men stand behind this pulpit who are, who are up here standing here with our collar open, our little puka shells and our little uh, hairdos. I don't have hair to do with, but you know what I'm saying. We're not trying to tell you the way to get it done is to be as cool as you can possibly be. We're trying to tell you the way to get it done is to preach the word of God. Oh, there's going to be no established church without the preaching of God's word. We must preach the faith. Secondly, we must protect the flock. Now notice this in verse 8. Beware. Everybody say that word with me. Beware. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. 
Now, Paul has heard from Epaphras. He's heard this burdened pastor. And Epaphras is saying, I, I came a thousand miles. I'm sorry to tell you, but Gnosticism has crept in and they're, 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 they're telling people that there's no way that God would have a human body. They're telling people there's no way that, 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 that they can really know that there's a resurrection. And, and, and Paul writes back to the church and he says, Beware! Beware. Oh, we need to be understanding this today. To be a pastor is to be a warning pastor. Sometimes the pastor must say, watch out for this. And someone might come up to me afterwards and say, oh, I, I wish you wouldn't have named the name of that false teacher. I, 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 I wish you wouldn't have had to said that. Listen, a pastor is not doing his job if he's not willing from time to time to say, watch out for that kind of rock and roll music. Watch out for that wicked movie that came out. Watch out for that false teacher behind the pulpit. Sometimes a pastor says, beware lest any man spoil you. Acts 20, 28, take heed unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you to be overseers. That's the responsibility of the pastor. By the way, I'm the overseer of this flock. Sometimes people write me letters from other churches and they watch us online. They'll say, well, I didn't like the song that you did or I didn't like this, this little stage you had back here. I mean, people write me all kinds of things. And I, I normally read a little bit of it and then put it away. My philosophy is this. I'm the pastor of this church. They're not the pastor of this church. If it's a concerned friend that knows me, I might give it some weight. But I'm going to tell you that we do have a responsibility, and Acts 20, 28 says, my responsibility is for this flock. I, I spend a good amount of time with pastors and preaching in other churches, and I don't normally go to another pastor and say, you ought to do this with your church or do that with your church. I don't comment on their music, their lights, their staff, whatever, unless they ask. If they say, Brother Chapel, is there anything you do differently? And by the way, if you're a young pastor, that's a good thing to ask an older pastor. If they ask, I might say something like, well, you know, your lights were too dim and uh, your music director did this or that or whatever, you know. But I don't make it my, my habit to tell someone else how to pastor their church. But I do make it my habit to keep an eye on this church because that's my responsibility. The, the Holy Ghost hath made me an overseer. And I'm to cause them to be, a care, to be, to be aware, to, to, to be careful about things that would bring harm to them. What are some of the things that we must warn of? I think of false prophets. Matthew 7, 15. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. There are false prophets today. There are TV and radio preachers that are false prophets. Uh, I think of false doctrine. Hebrews 13 and verse 9. Be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrine. Sometime there might come someone into the church with some strange doctrine. We had a, a series of, uh, of people that came through several years ago, and they were putting in the backs of our chairs here uh, little brochures on how to speak in tongues, trying to get our people involved in the charismatic movement. I got a hold of one of those things one night and uh, just took a few minutes to warn our people about the silliness of that and the unbiblical nature of that and, and to tell them to beware of that. I remember years ago, there was a group called the Promise Keepers, and they had a little promise that they wanted everybody to make, and the promise was that we will tear down the walls uh, of, of uh, doctrine and we'll, we'll not make such a big deal about doctrine. They were having the Lord's table down at L.A. Stadium. By the way, you don't have the Lord's table at L.A. Stadium. Amen. It is a local church ordinance. Amen. 
You'll not find one time in the Bible where every kind of a denomination, by the way, including the Mormons and including the vineyard, you'll never find in the Bible an ecumenical gathering of the Lord's table. And I'm certainly not going to take our church to something where one of their primary uh, goals is to tear down doctrine for, quote, the sake of unity. There's no true unity if you don't have doctrinal clarity. And so I brought a warning about some of the false doctrines of the promise keepers. There were some good things they were trying to do. They were trying to get men to promise to love their wives. I believe in that. There were some good things, and I acknowledge that, but I also caused our people to be aware of some of the doctrinal error of that movement as well. There are many false doctrines today that are permeating our society. I think of the false doctrine of pluralism. Many of you are not greatly trained yet in some of the contemporary theological issues. All of you should have received a copy of my book, Keep the Faith. It's a book that deals with some of the theological trends of what we call new evangelicalism. New evangelicalism was, uh, was uh, truly engineered not far from here at a place called Fuller Seminary. Fuller Seminary back in the 50s, decided they were going to try to get the liberals together with the fundamentalists. And so they said, we need to get these evangelicals or fundamentalists together with the liberals, people who believe the Bible is the Word of God, people who deny the Bible is the Word of God. And they said, we're going to start a new movement called the New Evangelical Movement. And, and this is a movement where we're going to get everybody together. And, and, and what happened was, as this was birthed, was that much compromise was the result. And we see it still proliferating even today. We see people now in the woke side of things, which is just another term for liberalism, and we see sometimes young evangelicals and young even independent Baptists gathering together and having meetings together and promoting philosophies and sometimes doctrines that are unbiblical. One of the recent presidents of this group, uh, or, or this seminary, Fuller Seminary, uh, a man by the name of Mr. Mao, M-A-U-W, uh, he was meeting uh, with the leaders of the Mormon church. And as they were having a little discussion, he said this, I'm not willing to say that Joseph Smith was just a false prophet. I want to understand him and the religious group he left behind. So here you have a professing Christian who is unable or unwilling to say that Mormonism is false. He said, I don't want to say that Joseph Smith was a false prophet. Let me just go ahead here at West Coast Baptist College as a Bible-believing fundamental Baptist pastor and tell you, Joseph Smith was a false prophet. Amen. He was a polygamist. He taught that Jesus Christ was a man who became God. And the Bible says that before Abraham was, I am. Jesus Christ is eternal God. And Joseph Smith and Brigham Young with his 87 wives a few hours from here in Utah, they were false prophets. Just like Joel Osteen when he was interviewed on CNN. What do you think about Mormonism? He said, well, I just don't want to judge anybody. Look it, I'm not trying to teach you to be judgmental, but I hope that you are discerning by the time you leave this college. And I hope you have the gumption enough to say that anyone that denies the deity of Jesus Christ is a false prophet. Amen. Not someone that we hold hands with at the monthly ministerial meeting. It's someone that we pray and witness to in order that they might be saved, you see. 
Beware, 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 lest any man spoil you through philosophy or vain deceit. I'm talking about false doctrine. I'm talking about the false doctrine of pluralism. That is to say, all churches are fine. All churches preach uh, the truth. No, no, no. I'm talking about those who deny the atonement of Jesus Christ, and they say that salvation is found through sacraments. They say that salvation is found uh, through a particular church. Listen, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy or vain deceit. We must be rooted in a person, that is Jesus. We must be rooted in the precepts, that is the doctrine of the Word of God. Beware, lest any man spoil you. And let me tell you what the word spoil means. It means to cause, to disappear. Say that with me. To cause, to disappear. One more time. To cause, to disappear. That's what Satan wants. You remember that kid from, I think he was from uh, Pennsylvania, and uh, he tried to grow a beard. It looked so bad, we told him to cut it. Remember that kid? <laughs> remember that kid? He, uh, I, think he, I think he was in such and so dorm. I think his name was John. Remember that? Whatever happened to him? He did not beware the philosophy of men. He was spoiled. He was taken away. Hey, Literally, there is a devil roaring and walking about and seeking whom he may what? Devour. He doesn't want you to be a Bible-believing, soul-winning Baptist. He doesn't want you anywhere near the gospel. Beware. You must be rooted in his person. You must be rooted in his precepts. And then thirdly, you must be rooted in his practices. This is where I believe a local church Bible college makes the difference because you're able to practice what you're learning. Look at verse six again. The Bible says, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Look at verse seven. As ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. The Bible teaches that we're to walk and we're to abound in the Lord. And what are the practices uh, that the Lord left us with? Let me give you two or three as we close this morning. First, we are to be seeking lost men. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Matthew 4 and 17, from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, as he was walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Listen, if we're going to be rooted in the practices of Jesus, we must be rooted in the practice of soul winning. Many of these attractional churches that are just trying to draw a crowd and maybe give the gospel out at the end of the message... They totally reject the pattern of Jesus, which was to go out into the community, to the seashore, to the towns, and to talk to people about their eternity. I, I, I worry for some of you that can get a job in town and go an entire semester and never speak to your coworker about Jesus Christ. What kind of a Christian are you? We must be rooted in the practices of Jesus. Carrying gospel tracts, not ashamed to tell somebody I'm a Christian and invite them to church and tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was constantly seeking whom he may speak to about the gospel. I believe you ought not to go through a drive through a barber, go to an appointment somewhere, meet a new person. 
You may never see them again. And I'm not the best. I wish I was better. My dear friend, Dr. R.B. Willett, he nearly always, if we're together at a restaurant or a hotel or somewhere, nearly always he beats me at getting the track out. One, one day, we were in a, in a, in a uh, store. We were looking at some shirts. It might have been like a Tommy Hilfiger or something like that. I'm over on one side just looking at shirts, looking at colors, sizes, just having a, having a little break there. On the other side, by the time I got back to the other side of the store, Brother Willette had led the cashier to Christ already. I mean, he just, he wasn't looking for shirts. He was looking for souls. How many of you would say, Pastor Chapel, I, I too could be more soul conscious? All of us could be. I had a medical procedure several years ago and went in to get this done and never had this done before. And he lay down on a table and they, they're going to give me an IV. I'd never been put under for anything in my entire life. And so they, uh, they, they were about ready to put this IV in there. And I just said to the nurse, I said, what is that anyway? She said, it's called propopol. She said, it's, it's what Michael Jackson died of. <laughs> I thought, that's a great thing to tell me right, right as you're putting it in me. <laughs> but that's the last thing I remember. Man, I was out. I was out. In fact, it was great. I, I, I've never slept like that in my entire life. It was just awesome. I don't know how long the procedure lasted. All I know is sometime later, there's this lady saying, Mr. Chapel, wake up, wake up. And man, I said to her, I said, I don't want to. <laughs> wake up, wake up. And I don't know why I just started talking to her. And I didn't know my wife was even there. I found out later. My wife told me everything later. I didn't know any of this actually that I'm about to tell you, except my wife told me she wasn't pleased. And uh, I embarrassed her. <laughs> and they were saying, wake up, wake up. I said, I don't want to. She said, you need to wake up now. I said, I am the pastor of the Lancaster Baptist Church. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. <laughs> she said, wake up, wake up. And, uh, and then I kind of looked at her, and, and, and I don't know why I said this. Uh, I said, what's your name? She said, Lourdes. And then I said this. Are you a Filipino? Because <laughs> that name, and she looked like she might have been Asian. I don't know if she answered me. My wife just told me later. That's what I said. And then a few minutes later, I saw my wife. I said, honey, this is Lourdes. She's a Filipino. <laughs> and then I said this. Give her a gospel track. She needs a gospel track. And then I went back to sleep. Man, I was out. I was so, so enjoying my rest. Well, finally I got awake enough and got straightened up and they put me in a wheelchair and, and, uh, and, and they brought me out to the car and my wife drove me home. And so I think it was the next morning I came in the office and just kind of getting going back with the day and Mrs. Furso, my secretary, she came in. She said, uh, pastor, she said, do you know a lady named Lourdes? <laughs> I said, no, I never, never, never heard of Lourdes. I said, I, I think maybe I do. I'm not really sure. My wife said I do. She said, well, she called and she said that yesterday you gave her a track. And she was wondering if she and her husband could come in and they've been having some marital problems. And they'd like to talk with you. And I said, sure. And they came in that afternoon. And Lourdes and her husband 
Gus, his name was Guzman. They both prayed in my office to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. You know, it amazes me that despite myself, if, if, if I can just somehow get the word into someone's hand, just reading about Jesus, just reading about heaven, just reading about forgiveness, God's word touches hearts. And, and we must be rooted in these practices, not just like a cut flower that's slowly fading off, but rooted alive to souls and alive to the fact that people need Jesus Christ. We must be rooted in our seeking of souls. We must be rooted in our serving and helping people to know the Lord Jesus Christ. We must be rooted in our sending. I think of what Jesus did. Jesus, the Bible says in Matthew 5 and 1, seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain and when he was set, his disciples came unto him and he opened his mouth and taught them. And, and, and the Bible tells us that Jesus taught them in such a way that they could go out and tell others also, 2 Timothy 2 and 2. And what we need to understand is that these are the practices of our Lord. And he has said to us, as the Father has sent me, even so send I you. I'm saying to you today, in this world that is like a tumbleweed being blown down the road, God says, I need some leaders who are rooted and grounded in Christ. Beware of these philosophies that are going to cause you to slip and someday not even be recognized as a man or woman of God. Beware of these philosophies that will carry you away. Be rooted in him personally walking with God. Be rooted in the precepts established in the doctrines of the word of God and be rooted in the practices of Jesus. That is the practice of soul winning and serving and helping others. And some of you need to say, I'm not going to waste my time at West Coast Baptist College. I'm not going to be easy pickings for somebody when I get out of this college just trying to drag me into their little philosophy of vain deceit. I'm going to be rooted as a biblical Baptist. I'm going to be rooted as a biblical uh, student. I'm going to be rooted in my relationship with Jesus Christ, respectful of those that have brought me along, reaching my generation as I know how from the Word of God. I will be rooted. I will not be like a tumbleweed blowing. I will be rooted and grounded for the Lord Jesus Christ. 